Good morning. It is a great day for us to talk about dedication. Amen. It's a great day to talk about dedication because it was a pleasure for us to dedicate 20 infants and 40 parents and who knows how many older siblings and grandparents to this art of ministering in God's first institution, the family, God's first plan for discipleship, the family. Amen. Amen. It's a great day to talk about dedication because there's a kind of important game going on tonight and the people who are playing in it have had to dedicate a lot of time and energy and their craft to get there tonight and uh, there's uh, some businesses that have dedicated the greater part of their marketing budget to a 30 second time slot tonight in a Hail Mary hope that maybe this will save their floundering business or raise profit margins enough that they'll survive into the next year. It's a great day to talk about dedication because there'll be a moment tonight in about the fourth quarter when you'll be looking at that 12th hot wing and your buddy on the couch will say, someone's got to eat it. And you'll say, but I've had six. And he'll say, but it's bad luck to leave a hot wing going into the fourth quarter with the game on the line. And you'll say, I'm all in. I'll take, I'll do it. I'll eat it. And you'll eat that hot wing and you'll pay for it later, right? Antacids. It's a great day to talk about being dedicated. And today we're in Luke chapter 2 where we see Jesus brought to the temple to be dedicated by his parents. So this just fits uh, so well. And in this story... There are layers upon layers upon layers of people who have made choices in their life to be dedicated to God. There's so many layers in this story, it's like that blooming onion that you're going to be eating at the game tonight. And we only have time to peel back two or three or four of them briefly this morning, but if you were to dig deep into Luke chapter 2, you would find so many more than I can even bring to the surface today of people whose lives were dedicated in service to God. And so today it's a pleasure to preach from this text for a few reasons. One, we get to tell the stories of people who laid it all on the line for God. They gave him their all. And the second reason it's such a pleasure to preach through this text is that these are people like you. These are people like uh, my friends and fellow worshipers at the Bentonville Church of Christ. There's sermons where I try to provoke and challenge us as a church body. And there's sermons where we have a moment to affirm the things that we love about what we are and who we are. And I can say with so much pride that some of the things that I most appreciate about the Church of Christ heritage and about this congregation, they show up in this text today. Like people who give it all for God who love each other and care for each other. People who are all in. And people who make the Bible and Jesus the framework and the grounding of their life. So are you ready to dive into this together this morning? Luke chapter 2. Let's look at the parents and the child first. And then we'll see a few other people in the story whose lives also have something to offer us. The parents and the child, of course, are Joseph and Mary, and we already know something about their dedication. Last month, we were preaching through several texts that talked about them. So you know that Joseph is a righteous man. 
And you have been reminded just recently that Mary is a Word 511 kind of girl. She was reading from Anna, uh, Hannah in the Old Testament as she read that prayer of a woman waiting to have her own child to dedicate to the Lord. And reading that, Mary, when she found out she was pregnant with the baby Jesus, she wrote her Magnificat because she was a Word 511 kind of girl. These are the kind of dedicated parents that show up in the story. And so they come into Jerusalem as the law required. They're Torah-observant, Bible-believing, obedient people. And so Luke tells us that when the time came for the purification rites that were required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus, the infant, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So in a way, they do what we've done here today on the stage. They bring the child up and present him in front of God and the people. But for them, this wasn't just a matter of tradition or uh, church preference or blessing. It was to fulfill the law. So they need to do this, and they need to do it right, and there's sacrifices to offer, and they fulfill all these obligations. Uh, it says that it's written in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And this comes out of the book of Exodus chapter 13. If you'd like to go and dig a little deeper into those layers, you can see from the Bible that they were reading the instructions about firstborns being dedicated to God. So right off the bat, you see that this is a little bit of a different idea of dedication than even what we just did minutes ago on the stage. This is something required in their law, that to help the family remember that all of us belong to God, they had to go through a ceremony with their first child where they'd essentially bring him to the temple and they would say, this child belongs to God, not to me. And then to get him back and take him home, they would offer the sacrifice required, which was usually a lamb. But here, Joseph and Mary offer a pair of doves or uh, two young pigeons, which is the poverty requirement. And this shows up in Leviticus chapter 12 if you want to read about that further. So we learn a few things about the parents and the baby when they come. They're committed and they're dedicated to following Scripture. They are understanding in this ritual that this child does not primarily belong to us even though he was born to us. He, his primary dedication is to God. And then they have to give these animals over to be able to have him back and take him home so that they will live with this mindset and this ritual in place in their community to remember what it means to be dedicated. And we find that they fulfill the ritual using the poverty requirement because... They didn't have much. So for those of us who are here today and feel like, I don't have a lot to give. The bank account is low. My talent pool was never very deep to begin with. I don't have a lot. There are people in today's reading, in today's story, who come from a place of poverty and dedication and are still able to fulfill through their heart and their dedication to Scripture, what God requires by understanding whatever He's given to me is first of all God's anyways. And a question for us today might be, how do we undertake the responsibilities that God has given us today? Do we do it with this kind of passion and fervor and dedication? 
When God puts something into your hands, do you remember that it is first and foremost God's thing and God's person and that he's loaned it to you for a while for use that maybe can bring glory back to him? Recently, I was sitting in my office on a standard work day in the middle of the week, studying and reading, preparing for a sermon, and I got an unusual call. Our receptionist, Kim Graves, buzzes me on my office phone and says, we've got a guy on the other line, and I don't know if you want to talk to him. Well, 99 times out of 100, when Miss Kim Graves says that, the answer is no, I didn't want to talk to him. They're trying to sell something, or they've got some kind of argument against the Church of Christ, and they want to level the preacher of the Church of Christ with it, or um, something that should probably go to benevolence, or it goes to someone else, or whatever. So Kim kind of filters and knows. But this time, she said, I don't know if you want to talk to him or not, but it's kind of interesting. Okay, what is it? She said, he wants his car blessed. I open up a Google web page and type, how do you bless a car? <laughs> I said, you know, this one is so interesting. I think you ought to just tell him, come on over. And so she did. Moses is the name that he gave for us to call him. He was an Indian guy. Uh, he had a thick accent. And he seemed to be devout in his interest to have the car blessed. So I... You know, I took his call briefly. I told him, come on over, and a few minutes later, he does. Kim rings me again. He's here. Come on out. So I head out to the parking lot, and there's Moses, and there's his car. It's new to him. It's not brand new. It's an SUV kind of crossover thing, and it looks like it's a maybe about an 8, 10-year-old model, but it's been washed nicely, and he's got it right here, and he's got the keys in his hand. And he says, thank you, thank you so much, and he hands me the keys, and then he just looks at me. And I was hoping for a little bit of guidance. You know, So I just launched in to what I thought a car blessing should be like, and I merged that with what I had read on Google. I took the keys from his hands, and I, I took his other hand, and I put the hand with the keys on the car, and so I've got him, and I've got the car, and I just began to pray. I said, Father in heaven, creator of everything and giver of all gifts, we thank you that you've given us food and clothing and enough for our daily life, and today you've even given Moses the gift of something extra, this car that you've put into his possession. And we pray that like the chariot of the Ethiopian in the book of Acts, that this vehicle would be a bearer of good news. See, that's the part I got from Google. <laughs> and as I was praying, I was just very moved by it. I was like, this is good, you know. And then I prayed for safety for everyone who would ride in it and that it wouldn't have any accidents or wrecks, but that it would uh, get everyone safely where they needed to go. And I uh, said a few more words of praise to God and then in Jesus' name, amen. And then I looked like this to see whether he thought that was enough. I kind of. <laughs> and he looked very pleased, so I let go of his hand, and I handed him back the keys, and I said, well, there we go. And then he just stunned me. He walks around to the other side of the car. He opens up the passenger door. He reaches in, and he pulls out an envelope, and he hands it to me, and he says, this is to say thank yous. He said, I called several churches today. I tried a bunch in the area, and I guess everyone was too busy to come out and bless my car. You were the only one that answered. He said, so this is just to say thank you. He handed me an envelope. I walk back inside, and I open it like that, and there's $100 in 20s. And that was when it finally struck me. 
that Moses looked at his car in a different way than how I often look at the things God puts into my hands. He saw this car as an opportunity to be more dedicated to God than he had been up until this point. And in some way to show God how grateful he was for what God had given him, that he wanted to give a gift to whatever church would bless the car for him. So I feel like it's important that you know. Uh, I didn't put the money in my pocket. Miss Kim and some others had a good cause we could give it to, so we put it in the offering and we gave it there. Because truly this was a moment of reverence where this wasn't about giving the preacher a little money and saying thank you for doing our wedding. This was him giving an offering to God to say, I understand the responsibility you've put in my hand, and I don't take it lightly. And I wonder if any of us have the opportunity to grow in that understanding of what God's putting in our hands. Let's take just a minute and look at the other two people in today's story. Simeon and Anna. These are the two residents of Jerusalem that come up to meet Joseph and Mary and the little baby, Jesus, when they come to the temple. And the first one to get to them is Simeon the Tzaddik. This is a word that was used to be applied to Jewish men that were Torah observant and devout and righteous in their faith. The reason I put it on the screen instead of calling him Simeon the Righteous is to draw your attention to the fact that he was labeled in his community and seen as a righteous man. Joseph, earlier in the book, has also been referred to as Sadiq. And so this man, Simeon, in a way, is an extension of Joseph in the story. Now, he's his own person historically, and he has his own things to say and his own way of being dedicated to God. But in the way this literature works, we've met a young Sadiq father. And now we meet an older and apparently dying Sadiq man living in Jerusalem. He might be a picture of what Joseph would look like if Joseph lived this long. But of course, we don't know what happened to Joseph. We just know that at some point along the way, before Jesus was 30, he's dropped out of the scene. And we assume that like many Jewish men, he died at an age much earlier than our age of expectancy, which for them was something like 25 or even 30 years less than what we expect in the modern day United States. So we don't know that Simeon was ancient. We don't know that he was retirement age. All we know is he seems to be near death. Is he sick? Does he have some disease? Is he, in fact, ancient and it's just not mentioned? We don't know. We just know he knows. He's near the end. And so there was this man in Jerusalem called Simeon, righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, So here's a prayer from this righteous man. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. This is Simeon's version of laying his hands on the vehicle or whatever. He takes the baby into his arms. Sovereign Lord, thank you for this gift. You can now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Like the Apostle Paul, who later in Philippians will write that all he wants is to know Christ, and in knowing Christ, to know both his resurrection and his death and suffering, and so to be joined to Jesus Christ. And by knowing Jesus, he would be happy then to go on and be with the Lord, because this is the greatest moment of his life, that he could know Jesus. Simeon says, I've seen him. I've seen the light. I'm ready to go. This is what I've been dedicated for. And so the child's uh, father and mother brought in the child Jesus. Uh, oh, yeah. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They've already brought him in. Now they're marveling. And they're marveling because this guy just took your, the baby from your arms and he's speaking all of this you know, blessing over him. Any of us would marvel. Some of us with more trepidation. But they've heard from the angels. They've had messages from God. They know that there's something about this baby. And they know that serving God and bringing light is their purpose in the world. But Simeon has a hard message for Mary, a dark and painful revelation. Simeon blessed them all, but then he pulls aside to the mother. He leaves Joseph out of this part. And he says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so controversial. And he will reveal the hearts of many, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Serving God and bringing light is the purpose that Joseph and Mary have dedicated themselves to. Here he is, the light of the world. And yet Simeon says to Mary, serving God and bringing light is not an exemption to being pierced. You will suffer too. And we know that before Jesus is crucified, something has happened to Joseph. And we know that she stands at the foot of the cross alone as a single parent again, bereaved at the murder and abuse of her son. So that Jesus even looks at John, his apostle, not related to Mary, and says to him, the youngest of all of the twelve, Behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. The great revelator that reveals Jesus' vision in the last and final book of Scripture, long before he's 90 and in exile on Patmos, his first responsibility, his dedication put into his hands by his own Lord is to look after the bereaved mother of Jesus. Surely her soul is going to be pierced because dedication to God is not an exemption from pain and from suffering. No one knows this better than Anna. The final person who shows up in today's reading, the final character in this narrative, Anna is called prophets. Prophets were uh, relatively rare among the Jewish female population, but not totally unheard of. They are far more frequent after the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost in the New Testament church. But Anna has not only lived a life of being somewhat singled out for being the rare female prophet, kind of a loner in the community of Israel as a woman who's given a speaking ministry. She also, according to the text, 
stands in place of all of us who are aged and bereaved. What we read about Anna is a little bit confusing. It says that she was the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. The Greek text is actually much more ambiguous than it sounds. You might have a footnote in your Bible that says it could mean she was a widow for 84 years. There's some translators that think that is the more reliable translation of the Greek, but because the numbers are so crazy, that would mean she was something like 105 years old, that a lot of translators haven't believed it was possible, so they've translated instead that she was a total of 84 years old. Either way, she's far beyond the expected age limits in her society. And if she's 104 or whatever, she is like this ancient lady that people have grown and died and grown and died and grown and died in successive generations so many times that there's some kids running through the streets that would hear about this lady, Anna, the hundred and whatever year old prophetess, and they'd be like, that's just a legend until one day they'd walk around the corner and they'd see her in all her wrinkly glory, and they'd be like, it's real, it's true. You know, I can't believe that she's like a relic of an, a bygone age. And all these years, what has she been doing? Fasting and praying in the temple. She's got herself cloistered away a lot of the time, worshiping. She's dedicated fully to God in ways that maybe we can't even imagine. Her spiritual disciplines are more reliable than Patrick Mahomes' arm, y'all. For some of you that don't know, he's playing in tonight's game. Okay. And she shows us that a dedicated heart can transform our self-narrative at every age. She was widowed young. She's got no one to care for her. She's alone in the world. She's a female prophet in a world where female prophets were even less trusted and admired than they are today, and we've still got a ways to go. In so many ways, she has reasons to say, I've been forgotten, mistreated by God, I've been given gifts that I can't use. I'm lonely. I'm sorry. And all I want to do is leave this world and get on to the next one. But she has been transformed and her self-narrative is rich and deep because of her dedication to fasting, to prayer, and to using her gift. Coming up to them at that very moment, Anna, who by the way is the Greek version of her name in Hebrew, her name shouldn't be a surprise to you at this point, is Hannah, stands in, in a literary way, for what Mary might look like if she reaches the age and the grief of Anna or Hannah in the story. And she comes up to them and she says this. She gives thanks to God. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem and when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So Anna, in her one moment with this child, is able to use her gift to be one of the first proclaimers of good news in Jerusalem. She looks around, she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Hey, you over there, shouts this wrinkly little old tiny woman. 
Do you want to hear the good news about what's coming for? No? Okay. Hey, you over there. And she finds some who will listen. And she tells them about the baby that she's seen, about the child that she's held. And in this way, she plays her role in dedication to God's purpose and blesses this family. They go home and they do then what families are supposed to do. They eat breakfast. They work hard. They eat lunch. They work some more. They eat dinner. They take baths. They go to bed. They get up in the morning and they do it over again. They say their prayers. They say the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus secretly by himself over in the corner goes, and your neighbor as yourself. They get up in the morning, they have breakfast. They work hard, they have lunch, they work hard, they have dinner, they take baths, they go to bed. They get up in the morning, they pray. And the child grows strong. And the grace of God is on him. Their prayers are answered. And yet we all know what's coming. The suffering and the sorrow, because he's not exempt from that for his dedication. A balanced life with trouble and with grace. A life of dedication and a life that pays for it through suffering. These are the inheritances of the church. These are the heirlooms passed down to us. These are the things that we're praying over our children on a day like this. And even though we've dedicated the babies in prayer today, some of you might want to also be rededicating your heart, your soul, and your devotion to God through prayer or through baptism. You're welcome to do that this morning. We'd welcome you to come down here in the front and pray with us if you want to do either of those things. Because God has given you a gift that no matter where you are, no matter what you've lost, he has a reason for you to be here. You offer it back to him and see what he does. Let's stand and let's sing.